Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Rail and Ramble, your podcast destination for all things conversation. I'm your host, Jay. So today I have a fun treat for you guys. Um, I have the great fortune of having um, some siblings. Um, I've got an older sister, a younger sister, and a younger brother. Um, I love these people. They have made my life fun, fascinating, interesting, and just... Um, so full of quality you know I was I paused because I was just full of smiles and all these memories running through my mind about all these different events I've had with each of them and um yeah they they make my life full uh, truly so that being said I decided that I have so many wonderful conversations with each of them that I would like to start sharing some of them with you guys because for those of us who have siblings Hopefully you have a good relationship with your siblings. No, it's not always perfect, but I hope you have a good relationship. Um, we have a sort of dynamic fa- family um, set up, um, which I will get into sometime later on down the road because it's semi-complicated. Um, however, I have just learned that even though our siblingship is possibly different from others, it may be directly on point with a lot of people out here in the world. And it's just something to show that you can be a sibling, a brother, a sister to someone who may share your blood, but not your direct parents, who may share your direct parents, but not your blood, who may share no blood with you at all, but is like a spitting image of everything that you are and must have been so, you know, uh, destined to be your, your sibling, um, you know, in, in some form. And that's why you two have met and you're, you've clicked and you have this bond. So anyway, I would love for you to tune in and listen to this upcoming episode with me and my eldest sister. Um, and I hope you enjoy it and drop me some feedback on what you think about it. Thanks for listening. So growing up, my sister has always been one of the most amazing and interesting people in my life. Um, In so many ways, she has helped me to determine the type of person I want to be, as well as she's taught me so many different lessons and shown me how to be strong when I thought I wasn't. Um, She's given me confidence um, in things that I just felt... I had no place to stand at all, but she always believed in me. She was always there for me. And because of that, she has always been a forefigure in my life of someone who I just look up to. And I also always want to make proud of me. That being said, I learned so much from this woman and I enjoy talking to her from the most simplest of things that we get into to the more complex things of life. And I thought it would be great to share just um, an insight of all the great knowledge that she bestows upon me in just a simple everyday conversation. So everyone, I'd like to introduce you to my big sister, Lena. She's here joining me today. And I just wanted to, you know, shoot the breeze with her like we usually do and talk about something that is basic and run-of-the-mill, but that nevertheless always 
brings up a lesson or an insight or a reflection that I didn't know before. So, sister, welcome. Thank you, thank you. So, I was thinking about something um, last night as I was figuring out how I wanted to have our conversation today. Um, this is a little more formalized than obviously how we usually talk, but I think once we start talking, we'll get over that. But just for the um, recording purposes of having this conversation and be able to share with others, I was thinking, okay, I don't want to babble on like I usually do. So what do we want to talk about? And so my first question is, even though I think I know this, I'm going to ask anyway, what is your favorite color? Red. I knew that. So I'm proud of myself. Points for me. Tell me a memory about that color. Probably just driving down Route 9 with mom and seeing like a candy apple red Corvette, specifically a 73 Stingray. That's what I believe made me like that color was that car. And how do you remember feeling about that? Excited. Just seeing it go by. Like, you know, when you're a kid and you sit up and you grab hold of the two front seats because you just got to get a better look because you just like something so much or you're so interested in it. And I remember having that, like, you know, that, like, excitement. So you were that you know, young. Hearing, yeah, hearing, just hearing, you know, the exhaust on the car, just like the whole experience of it. Hmm. So it's fascinating to me, first of all, that you were that young, because I imaginely, um, I immediately imagine, you know, when you said sitting up, you know, to pull up on the seat to like get a better look. That's like usually when you're, I don't know, what, three, four, five, maybe six. I was going to say probably like five, six around mm -hmm. that age. And was it going fast? Do you just remember you were riding next to it or? I remember, like, you could hear it kind of coming up on the side. Like, we were in the uh, slow lane, and it was coming up, like, the fast lane. You could hear it and just, like, hear it go by and see it keep going. Wow. Uh, that's, like, um, one of the first memories I have of that car. And then looking for it and then asking, you know, well, what's that, you know? And then that's how you know, okay, well, that's the name of the car. That's what I like, you know? So was it the color that caught your eye, but it was the car that held the interest, or was it both? It was probably the sound, and then the color of it, and then the design of the car, you know, like all of that. And then I think because I took such an interest in the car, it made it like open that color up for me to be something of interest like oh that color represents like this great feeling and then i believe i started to associate that with excitement and thrill and cool and you know hmm. and so you said you're in the car with mom and yeah. what was she saying i don't know that she even really was we had that much dialogue about it but it made it's an like, impression oh, to you. That's a, yeah. That's a Corvette. That's nice. Hmm. And I mean, back then, my car was a, you know, a 280Z. 
the Datsun 280Z, the Nissan 280Z, you know, but that's, uh, and that one, they said I knew from the time I was really small, but after that red, you know, Corvette, that became number one car. Hmm. And so what's the next memory that comes to mind after thinking about this? After thinking about that in the car, just the other cars, just like as I started really getting into my car thing, that's it. This is like, oh man, yeah. What makes cars. you like cars so much? Just the go, just get in and go. The, you're moving around, you're not like stuck, and it's just like they get you wherever you want to be. <laughs> and you want to get there looking good and cool and as fast as possible, and you know. And so, do you think that that get up and go kind of sensation that you felt, do you think that was um, like something that was ignited in your personality? Or do you think you always kind of had that, but it was like sound and car meets inner self and it was just like um, a connection or like an explosion of like, boom, yeah, I'm into this. This is what I like. I think I just was on, I think I was on the go a lot younger, back and forth to the hospital, you know, going different places between mom and Rhett and, you know, just constantly just moving around and just, you know, wasn't really at home that much, you know, church stuff, uh, family's houses, different things like that. And so why did you have to go to the hospital a lot? But mom being in there, being sick with her lupus, it was either the lupus was flaring up or she had to get, you know, surgeries with her hips and different things like that. And do you remember how that made you yeah. feel? Oh, that's terrible because I couldn't help her, you know, I couldn't do anything. Just angry because why does she have to keep going for this? You know, somebody that just everything you need and everything you want, they're just there for you, doing it, taking care of you. And you can't be part of them having more than a month worth of feeling good. You know, that was always something I had a hard time dealing with. Like, I couldn't just, uh, like, me loving her wasn't enough just to keep her well and not have to go through what she went through. Wow, that's hard. Especially at such a young age, feeling so responsible for something so big. I mean, it's just like every day, you see it, you know it. I mean, at five years old, I was going in and picking up prescriptions for her. You know, and so I knew she was sick and wasn't well and had a lot of different issues going on. But I have... Really, it's, it's funny how vivid the memory is of getting out of the car and then going into the pharmacy and having the pharmacist give it to me and watching me walk through the door to get in the car because she parked in like the handicap spot right in front of the pharmacy. And so they just and, recognized you because you were... Yeah, they knew, yeah. We're always running in to pick up the medication because she could not walk well. Yeah, and it's like I said, I said at five years old, 
after I got home from kindergarten, we'd run to the pharmacy and I'd ask um, if I could have like a dollar for a Smurf figure because they had these little bendy figures that was next to the cash register. Yeah. So. Wow. And then so you said when you weren't at the hospital, you were with Rhett. Yeah, I'd be with Rhett, maybe sometimes Shirley. And so who is Rhett? That's um, my biological mother, our <laughs> Yeah, good old Rhett. That's a whole nother subject, people, for another time. <laughs> um, yeah. And what do you remember feeling when you were with Rhett? Like, she was, she always tried to, like, she would always sing and keep me laughing, but I'd be like, oh my gosh, when can I get back to my mom? Like, I don't want to, you know, be here. At that time, did you know who she was? I did. Mom always told me. As a matter of fact, I called mom nanny until I was in first grade. You know, our people would refer to her as uh, your grandmother. And that used to bother me. I hated that. I hated when people would say that to me. So when I was in first grade, I, I, like I tell you, the memories, my memory is so ridiculous. We were driving down nine going past the racetrack and I remember asking her is it okay if I call you mom because you are my mom you do take care of me I don't want to call you nanny anymore and she's like yeah you can call me mom she's like absolutely she's like and you know you're really lucky because not too many people get a mom and a grandma all in one person so you got both <laughs> how did that and make being you young feel and remembering that conversation how did that make you feel happy yeah did you feel special? Yeah, we went to Jersey Freeze right after that. So I was that was like a double win. Yeah, as for our listeners, <laughs> we've grown up in New Jersey the majority of our adult lives. So hearing things like Route 9 and Jersey Freeze, if you're familiar with Mercer and Monmouth and Ocean County in New Jersey, that's Central Jersey. I don't care what anybody says. We are Central Jersey. <laughs> Um, these uh, locations and these roadways should sound familiar to you. I mean, Jersey people, we call out what exit are you on to figure out where you live in Jersey. So, you know, that that's where our head is. But uh, yeah, Jersey Freeze was this very special place. If you got to go to Jersey Freeze, it was like a mini holiday and a celebration. They were ridiculous. <laughs> they were like Dairy Queen, old school on steroids, like way better, like Stuart Root Beer, uh, Dairy Queen kind of combination. I mean, to me, everyone has their own uh, idea about Jersey Freeze, but either way, it was just a magical place if you got to go there. The drive up, um, you know, it felt very like old school with like the... Um, they're like bar hops, but they weren't called bar hops. What were they called? The girls with the roller skates. You car know. hops. Car hops. That's it. Exactly. Car hop. But um, anyway, I digress. Yeah, but Jersey Free. So that was a big deal for sure. Oh, yeah. So after you established that, you know, you made it's interesting how you made the decision to start calling her mom. So you took the ownership of that, right? So that, that tells me about your personality, that you weren't going to wait for somebody else to give you permission about something, that you, something was important to you, and it meant something to you, so much so that you, one, you had the confidence to speak up about it, you knew what you wanted, and 
you established this um this change and i don't know you were too young to to you know rationalize about it then but i'll ask you now um do you think like in your mind there was ever any doubt that she would have said yes or okay to that i don't think so i think i was just um I probably was nervous about it, I want to say, only because I knew that she was my grandmother. Every, You know, I called her nanny my whole life, I could speak. Everybody else, you know, called her nanny. The only people that called her mom were her kids. So I think that some part of me had to be nervous about, like, well, she might just say, well, I'm your grandmother, so call me nanny. Or, you know, you know, just... Something probably along those lines, I think. So now that's something else that makes me think of. Your personality is the type that you like to, and this is me assessing on the outside, being your little sister, but seeing all the things that you've done in life, you like to skirt the rules. You like to find ways to work around the rules. And to me now, listening to this, (laughs) it's like, yeah, that applied to everybody else that yeah, only her kids are calling her mom. And I know at this point, by label, yeah, she's my grandmother. But that doesn't apply to me because she's my mom. She she takes care of me. She is the one I look for when I wake up and before I go to sleep. Like, she's not just my grandmom. I know who my biological mom is, and that's fine. But no, you felt like you needed to claim this position right? And you were going to break the rules. And it was about, I think, not challenging authority, right? Because she was the authority figure in your life, but knowing that you would not, I think maybe once you knew that she was okay with it, that authority figures no longer intimidated you. What do you think about that? That could be. That could be it. She was the ultimate authority figure in my life because whatever I was going through, she was always there to help me out. Or, you know, Rodney and Sheila were picking on me. Your daddy was messing with me. Like, ah, you know, leave her alone. Leave my baby alone. You better not be messing with my baby. So I was just like, all right, you know, she's going to make sure I'm okay and take care of me. And what she said went. Yeah, she was the ultimate matriarch, the ultimate uh, final say I mean, in that household, in not just even, even, you know, the guy that was the uh, cop friend of theirs, he would come over and laugh, and he'd come after work and still be in his uniform, and he'd be like, oh, you know, whatever Ann says goes. So <laughs> I think that kind of played into it too. Like I used to laugh when he used to be like, ah, oh, you know, I'm not messing with that. I'm not touching that one. You know, leaving yeah. that alone. <laughs> So even seeing how the so-called police, who are supposed to be the ultimate authority figure, even they were beholden to her. Now you got me laughing, thinking about how she used to get pulled over. Like, she'd be speeding or doing whatever it was, and she'd, like, curse the cops out. I used to be so embarrassed. I used to, like, hide behind the seat. And then sometimes I'd snicker because I'm like, she's talking to this cop like this. (laughs) And forget it after the accident. Oh, my God. They would just, 
after they saw who it was at some point, they'd be like, now, um, nope, sorry. Just going to let you go. No, no, no. You know, trying not to use the last name. Yeah, um, yeah. Such and such. Just go ahead. No, oh, didn't break. You got a new car. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, you're touching on the accident. You want to um, enlighten everybody what you mean by the accident. All right. So, um, when I was seven, me, mom, Sheila, we had uh, did like one of them extra long church days where another church came and then a church after that and they sang. So we were at church probably until like eight o'clock that night. Mm. So we're almost home. I, I'm just laying in the backseat of the car, like, you know, just laid across, no seatbelt or anything. Mama Chiller in the front. Chiller's like seven months pregnant at that point, seven and a half months pregnant. And, um, and what year is this by the way, for people who are wondering why you don't have a, Seatbelt on. 1984. 1984. Okay. So, no, hold on, hold on. Let me take that back. That's it's 85. I had to get the kid's birthday right in my mind. As wait, no, that was 85. Okay. But um, so we're almost to the house, and you know how you're like in between sleeping and not sleeping, like that kind of you hear what's going on around you, but you're in that like relaxed state. I remember hearing the blink of the car because back then they were so freaking loud. Click, 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 you know? And then it's all of a sudden getting thrown onto the floor because we got ran into the back of, like a car hit us from behind while we were waiting to make the left turn into the driveway of the house. Wow. Like, um... So I remember, all right, that, I have like little clips from that night, but so I remember getting out the car and it being a cop there already. And I think he went back and put the lights on because by the time daddy had come out the house, the lights were on. And I remember him saying he heard a loud boom. And all he thought was, man, one of the damn cows then got out again, and one of them got hit by a car. So he said when he got out there and saw the cop car with the light, he was like, how are the cops here this fast? So anyway, this cop was had shades on. I remember, and it's like, at this point, it's almost 9 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. So he's got shades on, it's nighttime. And he's just going on and on. He's just talking, 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 talking. And from what I was told about the conversation, he's like, oh, she's pregnant. You know, my wife and I are trying to get pregnant and just talking, whatever. And mom was starting to have some pain and stuff in her hip, her uh, left hip. And I know I'm trying to, like, make this where it doesn't seem so chopped up on stuff or whatever. But end result is the cop was drunk on duty driving a cop car when he hit us. Wow. And so everybody, so you said you had gotten out of the car, but was. Sheila ended up getting out. Mom ended up getting out. Okay. You know, we just, you know, we all were out the car at that point. And he was looking at Sheila and she started uh, going into labor. Really? Yeah. So yeah, the baby's born like a month and a half early because of that. And she didn't, she wasn't able, I think, to go full term with her next to because of that one being early. Like she had to get a C section and now it was just it was crazy. But 
It's so amazing. Yeah. Like this is the first time I'm actually hearing this story. Like I know why. Well, I thought I knew why Nanny. That's our my grandmother, her mother, my sister's mother. If you were listening earlier, you'll keep up with that. Um, I knew why she she had those corrective crutches. Um, you know, they're not the standard crutches for for those listening. It's not the crutches you have under your armpits. It's the ones with the uh, arm braces. Uh, what's the proper name for these crutches? This, I believe they're called just cuff crutches, people call them. Cuff crutches. Because they cuff around, like, right under your tricep. Okay. So she always, my whole life that I can remember, she's always had these crutches. And I was told as a child uh, it was because she was in a car accident and then the surgery got messed up. Sorry about that. Yeah. My email she is going off. She had her first surgery on her right hip in 78. Then she had the left hip done in 79. And it actually, you know, it sat pretty good and worked until this accident. Wow. And then from then on, she had like six more surgeries to try to get that hip corrected. And it never worked. It never took. And all it did, it kept wearing down the bone on her, um, between her femur and her um, socket. Wow. She had, uh, you know, it was so funny, like back in like 87, she was on like the third surgery, I think it was, or fourth surgery for that hip. And they had to get, they actually changed the bone out. They replaced it with a, um, a dancer and they took a graph or something for the socket from her doctor. It was like, oh, that one's from a hooker. So between the hooker and the dancer, you should be doing well now. And so, you know, <laughs> you, could go dance, you could go dancing and street walking all at like, the same time. It was just like, I just like, just it was so silly. At that time, like, what, 10, you know, years old listening to this in the office. This guy was funny. He was a funny guy. Wow. But, I thought he was going to so totally yeah, like, say he'd do the poll. Like, that's how it goes, the conversation. We go, we jump from, like, one thing to the next. Like, it just leads you down all these different paths, right? Of, yes, like, of, totally the rabbit up. hole. That's what I love about our conversations. Like, and you're totally dropping knowledge on me. Like, I had no idea you were in the car when the accident. I had no yeah. idea that Sheila went into labor that evening because of this accident. Like, And they sent her home because... That was on the uh, 24th. Uh, so, you know, the baby's born on the 25th. Uh-huh. That grown person now, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. They sent, they sent her home, and she went right back into labor the next day. Wow. That's, like, major. And the fact that I, I knew there somehow some law enforcement was involved with the accident, but I didn't know... Um, you know, all the details. So now going all the way back to how we first started hearing how she would nanny and AKA Ann would talk to police and how they didn't even try to correct her. Did you ever get a chance to hear it? No, I just heard she would cuss them out. Like, uh, like shamefully cuss them out. Any cop, whoever came around and everyone knew about her. Plus at the time, the family was uh, well-known in the area because of business and things like that. So everyone pretty much knew, you know, our grandfather, her husband, your dad, right? Yeah. Um, but I didn't know, like, the weight of all the whole situation, you know? So now hearing how this 
affected you watching her speak to these police or these law, you know, officers in this way just couples the whole authority, um, how you flout authority figures. I knew I wanted to be an authority. I was like, you know, I used to say when I was younger, you know, I'm going to be a cop. I'm going to be chief of police by the time I retire. You know, because I wanted that control and power position. And I always felt like it was so much wrong that was, I didn't like so many different things and aspects about my life or what I saw happen to people. I was like, oh, I could be that person that could, uh, you know, run in the house and save the girl from getting beat up or you know, catch the drunk driver before they have an accident or just whatever, like, things you see or hear, you know, stop the robbery in progress before somebody gets shot, you know, like, hurt. Mm-hmm. I wanted to do that. I wanted to try to correct things wrong or save people pain and suffering. But also, I like the idea of being the person who had the power and authority, not necessarily taking it and I used to say I'm going to be a state trooper because then I could tell the municipal cops hey you know like dude you know I'm the ultimate one in the state right you know like I'm over y'all right (laughs) (laughs) so there was always a power complex oh a wrestling so it's interesting you wanted to so your mother was like the was the matriarch of your life and the entire family obviously. I mean, she didn't just run her household. She ran her children's households as well, because if she called and and she put down the hammer on something, even at their own house, that's just what it was. So that on top of, you see how she flexes her devil may care. I don't give a damn mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, even to the, the police, that you in a way aspire to be. So that must've been a very interesting combination. Like I want to be this, this figure to, to help people. And, and as you said, to right wrongs and, and I don't want to say hero, but you know, or heroine, but you know, you wanted to try to do the good in the world. Right. But you also wanted the power that came with that, oh, yeah. even though you saw that the only person more powerful than the police in your mind was your was mom. My mom. That's interesting. Hmm. Wow. And she was like, absolutely not. You know that, right? I knew she was against it. I I remember she was against it. No, no, no. (laughs) But why was she against it? She didn't want, um, I think the thought of me getting shot and hurt and everything like that, Mm -hmm. that possibility being there Mm -hmm. was why she didn't want it. Just it was too dangerous. She's like, you're too smart to do that. You're going to, you know, when I was younger and we used to go to the bank a lot, like a lot, like it was a lot of cash stuff when daddy, you know, in the 80s, all through the 80s, early 90s with his business, a lot of cash handling. So we'd be in the bank and she'd, uh, or she'd go get a check and have a cash and she'd be like, before I get to the end of this, like, you know, you go to the teller at the window. Says before I get to the end of here, I want you to have that money counted on. Tell me if it's the right amount. And I mean, he dealt sometimes, depending on what contract it was, with big amounts of cash. So I'd have to count like five thousand dollars, six thousand dollars, really quick as she's easing up toward the end of the curb. And how old you know? are you? <laughs> um, gosh, I was doing that from the time I was like nine, ten, because mm-hmm. I'm going back to like, you know, I wasn't. I think it might have been. 
Monswick Bank and Trust, which I think is the BBT now, whatever. That's the same bank, I believe. Okay. Um, but check it out. Back then, it was, I think it was Princeton Bank Trust in Twin Rivers. So it was this little kind of the smaller bank, the one she dealt with, because you know you had that contract with um, was it Maybelline, L'Oreal, or whatever one of them big companies. Yeah, the cosmetics. That was out that yeah. way. A couple mm-hmm. Carteret. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, was that, that was what it was called. not Carteret? That's the town. Um, Carter Wallace. That's yes, the name of the Carter company. Wallace. Yes. Um, well, I haven't heard the name in so long, but yeah. Mm-hmm. But so, like you know, when he would get the checks from there, she had to, you know, cash in, deposit it somewhere else, or take him the cash. So yeah, she used to make me count that money, and I used to count it so fast. So she's like, "Oh, you know, you're so good with numbers." And when she'd be doing like payroll for the guy, she's like, "I want you to be an accountant or." doctor or lawyer that was always default be a doctor or a lawyer everybody <laughs> wants their kids to be a doctor or a lawyer you yeah. know you want them to make good money and you want to be able to brag on them and they not ever need for anything right never have to but struggle she used, she used to say accountant because i was so quick with the numbers and you know good with helping her and counting and i was like that just does not seem like anything i want to do and so what type of business did he have that you were counting all this money uh, about yeah, he had to be one of the first ones, like seriously, in our area, like in like the Tri County area. I think he he was it was only a few, only a few when he started. You know, if you're going back to the you know seventies, eighties, I think most people did their own stuff, or the neighborhood kids did it, or you know your own lawn maintenance and stuff like that. I think only if you were really, really upper class did you have your your lawn, you know, and landscaping professionally done. Yeah. And the fact that he made such, I mean, inroads, considering that he was, frankly, what, illiterate, right? Yeah, he was, yeah. He stopped school and, uh, at six years old, first grade, he only went to school till then. And then to turn around and to have one of the top and premier landscaping companies in the area in New Jersey at that time uh, was uh, an an incredible feat. I mean, truly, absolutely, it's very impressive. You know, school till what first grade left home at like thirteen mm-hmm. to start. You know, doing his own thing and just that's really he. Uh, a product was amazing. It's funny I appreciate it so much more as I'm older. Yeah, I mean, what growing up being a son of a sharecropper and then <laughs> trying to escape uh, sharecropping and uh, get into the military only to be denied because his mom lied and said that was her only son when in fact she had like seven sons or something (laughs) and then uh a bootlegger turned to what um a migrant worker in between there he was an amateur boxer and, and quite good golden gloves um then to having this um very lucrative landscaping business it was a, it's a Cinderella story in a way. It really was. 
But there were all these joys and pains that, of course, came with it. So even though he made this great big name for himself in the county and kind of uh, a couple of counties, actually, um, for his landscaping, the so-called claim to fame with the family name uh, was really in regards to this accident uh, that she experienced with the police. And, you know, like you said, gave you uh, a different perspective on how one could interact with the police. So after this accident happened, what happened to the cop? Um, I believe he might have been just suspended for a few days or so. I know he didn't lose his job because, you know, if you want to fast forward 10 years, I was out in the back of the house shooting mom's 38 like switching off between a 38 and my uh, BB gun to shoot bottles because I was bored. And next thing I know is in the field, uh, you know, township car rolls up, cop car. Guy gets out, and I'm like, this one looks familiar. But just like, you know, everybody could look familiar at some point, even same uniform, you know, hair color, shades or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, oh, you know, what's going on? Blah, 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 blah. I'm like, I'm sitting out here because I'm bored. <laughs> having fun shooting these bottles because you know but because of beverly and author we have plenty of bottles to shoot uh yes and, and just to share uh, with everybody who's beverly and author just a digression for a minute all right beverly and author are these two tenants that um like on the property we had like the house that we lived in then we had a smaller like one bedroom bungalow and they rented the one bedroom bungalow from uh, mom and daddy and they were alcoholics and when i tell you the I think on my worst day ever, I could not even try to hang with them. <laughs> on my worst day ever, they would drink probably a fifth when they got up between the two of them, come home. And I remember even like, you know, author giving me a couple bucks to pick them up from work and stuff sometimes, stop and get like a gallon of Popov or Laird's or uh, freaking forget the other one that they used to drink a gallon. Oh my gosh. And him and Beverly would go through that, and before the night was over, they had to go back so they can get a fifth. So when they got up in the morning, they had something. Wow. That's like my stomach hurt just thinking about that. Oh my gosh. Their yeah. drinking was intense. So you said um, you were shooting. So up. Well, you said you were shooting on the property. So again. Yeah, I was um, in the backyard. How, how the, big was um, this property? Big, you lived in the country? Ones? Yes, it was about five acres between, like, the two plots. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, the two lots. Lots of land, lots of land, whichever. Okay. Um, and, like, you remember where the pig pen was? Yeah. Like, it was, like, the kind of most raggedy kind of area. Mm -hmm. So I was right about there, and I'm shooting back toward where the cows used to be. And I'm just not even thinking about, you know, whatever. I'm just used to shooting, so... The cop comes, he gets out the car, like I said, guy looks familiar, they all kind of look the same. You know, like if they're the same, like you could be like, okay, well, this one looks like this one. But he recognized me, he said, wait, you know, oh, he comes, oh, what's going on? So I'm like, I'm bored, I'm just shooting these bottles, whatever. He's like, oh, you know, we got a call because somebody heard gunshots. I was like, yeah. I said, I'm shooting. So he's like, well, 
you know, you're um, not supposed to shoot like in a area like this. It's a residential area. I'm like, there's nothing but woods behind me. It's just woods. And he was like, well, you know, still, you know, it's a fine. It's all this. He's telling me something. He's like, oh, wait a minute. He's like, you were that that little kid that was in the car like years ago. I forgot exactly what he said, but he was just, you know, like that was you in there. Right. I'm like, yeah, that was me. He's like, Oh, all right. Um, and then I asked him, I said, Hey, did you and your wife ever had that baby? Because one of the biggest thing of conversations was mom was so appalled that he said that that night, that it was a story she told hundreds of times to people. Mm Hmm. And so when he said that, and I realized that's who that was, I was like, did you and your wife ever have that baby? He's like, yes, we did. Wow. What do you think made her? Oh, sorry, go on. He's just like, listen, he's like, I got to ask you. He's like, I'm going to say, just, you know, don't use that 38. Just use the BB gun. And he said, because the thing is, he said, you don't know how far that bullet's going to travel if you miss your target. He's like, we just, we don't want somebody innocent to get hurt. He's like, that's it. He's like, um... But, you know, I'm going to leave. Enjoy the rest of your day. Just be careful. And like I said, you know, just don't shoot the 38 out here. So I was like, all right. So this was obviously before you developed your smart mouth because I so was expecting you to say, oh, someone innocent to get hurt like me and my mom? Like that? Oh, yeah, this is... <laughs> yeah, but, yeah, no, that was, um... Gosh, I had to be... This is before daddy died, but I want to say this must, this, I had to be like 18, mm. maybe seven, 17, 18, but I want to say more like the 18 mark because I was out there with freaking ribs. So I'm trying to line up, you know, when he was at the house, when they were dating, cause I was out there earlier, I think that day with him. And who with, is, uh, who uh, is. Ridge and who was he dating? That's when um that was him with uh Sheila. Mm. And so I'm trying to just in my I'm trying to think, damn, how long did they date before dad died and stuff? That's why I'm trying to go over the timeline. It's not like, you know, I can think, oh well what grade was I in? Because we all know I did the homeschooling like half of tenth grade and then all of eleventh and twelfth. So right. that doesn't help. <laughs> And you did the homeschooling because? Because I was able to use the excuse of my Lyme disease, saying that my joints hurt so I couldn't go to school, so that I could stay home with mom to make sure the kids were taken care of. And whose kids were these? Sheila's kids. Make sure her kids were good, because she wasn't in the picture most of the time. And mom was sickly. Daddy was working. So what are you going to do with, you know three little kids even when the smallest one was with his godmother you still had two others there that had to be looked after and make sure you know they ate everything was good and mom was incredible at you know pushing through her being sick with lupus and her hips you know being messed up but you know stuff has to get done and happen so i was able to i knew it like you know 15 right after junior passed away i was like all right i need to be home i need to make sure 
everything's getting done with the kids and that they're okay. And who's oh, Junior? Uh, that was uh, mom and daddy's oldest son. Mm. Passed away in uh, 93 from AIDS. From pneumonia, the complications of AIDS, I guess that's how they say it. And so what about that moment made you realize that you needed to be home in order to take care of Sheila's kids? Um, I don't know where the connect, it just, I don't know. I don't know, like how exactly that all comes together. There's so, it's so much of that story, just like to get it, like with Junior, when he was first sick at the house before they had, um, moved him out because of he had gotten tuberculosis when you know the nurses would come check on him every day he had a caregiver come to the house once they found that he had tuberculosis he had to move out they put him in a motel room because they said we couldn't be you know it was just dangerous for him to be in the house with us with it i remember that him being in the hotel room but you know what i thought it was because and this is just my child's mind at the time i thought he was put out of the house Because first of all, it was so taboo, right? The whole situation. Nobody knew anything about AIDS at that time back in early 90s, right? Not really. And they were treating folks with AIDS like like they had some type of like uh, contagious disease. Yeah, like you couldn't touch them, couldn't be near them, and you could get it. Um, If anyone's ever heard of the movie Philadelphia with Tom Hanks, that is a a very close... close description of how it was and i even remember that because our family still didn't know but they were willing to step up and take care of their take care of him and be there for him and i remember there was a concern about nanny's health and if it was um contagious or something like that like her getting sick because her immune system was compromised so anyway i thought that pop uh our grandfather your father uh put him out of the house because one, he didn't like the fact that he was gay in the first place. Um, in his namesake. Yes, exactly. And, you know, two, that now he had gotten ill, um, very ill. And I thought he was just, he was put out the house and the only place he could stay was a motel room. I didn't know that the that it was medically you know advised that he had to be in a more... Um, separated area but again then that it's like didn't they have um i guess they didn't have if you weren't in hospice there wasn't like a nursing home or a care facility not even a nursing home but a, a, yeah, because he wasn't, care um, facility. he wasn't sick at that point it, i mean like that yet he needed just the caregiver came in made sure he had his adls met you know um ad- uh, adult daily, you know activities of daily life that's what ADL stands for. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, his hair done, his hair brush, his teeth brush, made sure he had a little bit of food because he was getting weaker, but he still, he didn't need somebody, like, overnight and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I guess because he was there, that's why he only had the girl for two, three hours a day. Right. But the nurse would come also and, you know, just make sure he was all right. I guess that was part of, um, you got to have a type of supervisor, do, like, site checks. That's how I, I the equivalent of that. Mm. But yeah, no, it's funny because he just, um, I remember, like you were saying, when people didn't know, I remember asking his doctor questions, like, what can I do? How much can I be around him? And, um, it's like just bodily fluids. Be careful, you know, when he's sweating. 
you know, uh, bodily fluids like urine, feces, like those kind of things, those are all will contain the, uh, the virus in there. It's like, all right. So I was like, what about, um, like saliva? What if he wants a sip of my soda? He's like, no, that doesn't matter. Now that doesn't make sense to me, but it doesn't. Hmm. You'd think, right? Yeah, it's a bodily fluid. Yeah, like, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, but he's like, yeah, no, that's, you can't get it from, like, sharing a, a, a soda with somebody or them eating off of your fork. That won't, it won't, uh, it won't Well, unless like you that. have some sort of cut or something, right? There was yeah, always yeah, that yeah. thing yeah, about... If there's blood present, then yeah. Yeah. Like, if you have a cut in your mouth or whatever, so I was just like, wow. So, watching Junior go through this experience and then after he had passed, now realizing... Oh, so up at night. And he'd be talking about, you know, he just wanted to make sure his mom was taken care of. Or he'd wake me up out of bed because, you know, mom would, like, if she slept most of the day because she was in pain and took her meds, she'd be up at night either cooking for the next day or cleaning or doing something. She just couldn't sit her behind down. I'm like, gosh, man, mom, go have a seat. Sit your little butt down. Because, you know, she was so small and frail. And she was small and very petite. She was, like, what, four foot? But she was, she was five foot two, like, 100 pounds. Oh, see, I thought she was like four foot something, five two, a hundred. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know she was very petite and dainty. Um, yeah, small yeah. woman. But I remember times when she was like ninety, ninety-five pounds. Wow. So she would be up at night. He, or he would be up. Sorry, and be, with her. Uh because he's up. He'd be up. He'd wake me up if he felt weak and stuff. Like I'll, you know, go get mom. And, you know, or go help her or go do these dishes or whatever it was she was doing. You know? Mm-hmm. Like, oh my God, leave me alone, please. <laughs> <laughs> so then once Sheila was not at home to take care of her kids, she was dealing with her own struggles at that time. Um, you just knew there was no real way that nanny was going to be able to watch out for you know three kids under five let alone you Uh, know take care of herself yeah two under two under five one under ten okay yeah yeah even though one was in school yeah yeah but she still had to be dressed every day and all that stuff and catch the bus and nanny being in pain i imagine that just was like hard i mean you had to do that a lot for yourself when you were going to school get up Mm -hmm. and dress yourself and make sure you were out and to catch the bus because there was no one doing that for you right i mean she would do your hair i remember that she would do your hair when she was up to it until you started doing your own hair my little ponytail Mm -hmm. so then who came up with the idea to do the homeschooling did you come up with that or did she come up with that the school came up with it because I was missing a lot of time. Um, gosh, what was it? I think I started missing time in like December or January mm-hmm. of 93. And I was a sophomore. And the school had said something about doing uh, home instruction. And I was that was just because of helping with junior and making sure the kids were good, making sure mom was good. You know, I had... Freaking, I didn't want to go to school anyway, so I was happy to find an excuse to stay home, shit. Right. Um, so, like, in special, like, once you went in the hospital, remember we would take, like, the alternating shifts? Yeah. 
So somebody was always with him. Yeah. So I was getting my school from, you know, my work from school. Like Bootsy would bring it, or I'd get it and send it back. It was like a back and forth thing. Mm-hmm. And so I spent, and it's so funny because nowadays I would have been expelled. But I spent more time out of school from January to June than I did in school. And they had brought it up a couple times. And I think Daddy was kind of opposed to it because he knew I already hated school. So he didn't want to give me a reason kind of to not go. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember it being some, you know, conversation about that. By the time I was ready for junior year is when I learned, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I just got, this is, that was all that stuff right there. I didn't get Lyme disease until like that summer. Hmm. But I immediately started feeling it in my knees and stuff. I think that's why they like suck now. I did feel it, you know, like get that, like it would swell up. They'd be sore. Right. Really achy. So I put it together. Wait, they already offered me home instruction because of everything going on. And I got this. Yes, we will not be going. So for the first um, three months of 11th grade, they tried to have me go in at like 11 to 2 or something for like two or three classes. And I was like, oh, I just can't. Oh, my my knees hurt so bad in the morning. I just I can't get out. You know, like <laughs> I played it up so much that after that, they're like, all right, full, you know, home instruction. Hmm. And that was great for me because I could get up, make sure the kids was ready for school. They ate. They did what they had to do. You know, actually, it was just the oldest one at that point because the middle one and the younger one, you know, weren't in school yet. And, you know, mom could just not have to push so much. She kind of relax, just stay in the room, tell me what you want me to do or, you know, tell me what needs to get done. I could run errands all day without license. Ha ha ha. The queen of driving with no license. Yeah. yeah you know, yeah. <laughs> like whatever had to get done. Yeah. Kids to the doctor's appointment, whatever it was. So it's so interesting that you dislike school but you actually thrive and enjoy learning new things and you actually do like school so you were i didn't like being away from my mom so that's the bottom line because that's the bottom line that was less time i had with her and why did you feel like time was an issue with her because they were always like oh you know she's living on borrowed time because you know her lupus is you know so bad and you never know and it would be it would be amazing to me how somebody could look so down and out like they'd be ready to check out and then bounce back like got their new like wave of life came through them and then do good again but even just growing up hearing about before i was born how she shouldn't have been around it was always that it always like hung over my head like she can go at any minute you know, so it's like, just spend the time, make sure you're there, get that time in. That's and that's, I guess you're right. I really did not. It wasn't that I didn't like school. I didn't like being at school. Because I mean, I did enjoy my home instruction to learn, but I just, I didn't want to be away from her. Hmm. And so were you ever, because you touched on it a little bit, you said her borrowed time basically kind of hung over your head most of your life. Um, In my whole life. Yeah. As far as I can remember, yeah. 
And what did that make you think about? Uh, it was more specifically, why do you live or why did you live with your grandparents initially? Uh, yeah, there, that's funny. Because when Brett was pregnant with me, I don't, she wasn't expecting to get pregnant. And that wasn't her goal that night. And I believe it was, uh, she knew she wasn't really ready for a baby, but she realized in her being pregnant that she could give her, give me to her mother to raise, to give life and hope because mom had, um, had a miscarriage. And then while she was real sick, I think it was like 74, they made, they opted daddy and the doctor to do an abortion with the baby because of all the medicine she was on they mm. said the baby would have came out mentally retarded and deformed probably wow so while she was out of it they did the abortion the medically necessary abortion whatever they called it back then and they tied her tubes and everything without her consent because she was so out of it so when she oh, woke no. up and found out what happened she was upset and she resented daddy and the pastor because he went to the pastor to ask for help and the pastor said well you guys already have seven kids so they need a mother so you know save save Anne's life and she resented him that she missed out on the first baby she had miscarried and then that baby so Rhett knew she had that hole there so when she was pregnant with me it kind of worked out she's like well I'm gonna give my mama this baby give her something to live for well, at that time, did she think that her mother wasn't going to make it? Was she worried yeah, around that time? I believe she felt like she was losing hope and desire and drive because, you know, everybody was grown, basically. And, well, you had, like, I think Rodney and Sheila were, like, 10, 11. You know, mm-hmm. but it was like, I think she felt like, mom needed something to fight for and because at any minute if she just decided all right yeah like these kids are they can take care of each other or whatever at this point and you know whatever that she would just give up yeah she just would lose her desire to fight and just so uh, that's when she said she went and uh talked with mom and she was like i can't even take care of myself how am i gonna take care of a baby she's like you, you could do it <laughs> hmm because at that point, too, now, mom's hips were so bad, she wasn't really walking. She was in a wheelchair because she could barely walk. Like, that's how bad her hips were before the first, you know, hip surgery in uh, 78, which when I was a year old. I remember hearing the stories about how all the time they would tell the older kids, you know, come say goodbye to your mom because she's not going to make it after this. Or mm-hmm. so many times they had to go to the hospital or they were picked up from school or uh, aunts and uh, godmothers and things would come stay at the house because everyone was preparing for her to, you know, just pass away. And, you know, Pop would need help with all these kids. And mm-hmm. somehow she always, you know, she always pulled through. There would be times when the kids, the older kids, our aunts and uncles would tell me how they just remember spending nights at the hospital, weeks at the hospital, 
Um, and they kind of said the same thing. Like school was different back then. Like we would be out because we were at the hospital with mom and daddy had to work and um, nobody. They had to take turns. Take yeah, care of nobody um, said anything to us. They'd just say, how's your mother doing? You know, and they'd give us the homework to, you know, circulate amongst each other. So it's amazing that, you know, for the adult kids lives, their formidable years, her illness hung over their heads. And so much so that, you know, one of her adult children was so concerned about losing her mother, you know, Hey, she wind up getting pregnant. No, it was not planned, but she realized that one, she probably wasn't equipped to have this baby yet. She was young, but you know what? This baby might help my mom, you know, live. And the fact that she, um, you know, just invested so much of, of that hope in you, um, to help her mother pull through, which it did because I heard the stories. Oh, mom would be so sick laying in the bed. Like she could barely lift her head and, uh, Rhett would come and, lay Corinne next to mom and mom would just wrap her arm around her or they'd lay Corinne on mom's chest and, um, you know, it would just give her strength. And of course, Lita is what everyone refers to as. So, uh, for people who, um, got confused there, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, yeah, you gave her like this renewed lease on life and she would just pull through. I remember they were saying that when um, she'd have to change you or something or if she'd be alone, she would like get down on the floor and she would just, you know, pull you on the blanket along with her when, you know, her legs oh were God, too weak. Oh my God, she told me she'd have to get me bottles from the kitchen. Yeah. Yeah, she'd put me on the floor in a blanket and just crawl through the kitchen and be pulling the blanket with her just you know to go get her and do what she had to do it's like oh my gosh and it it speaks to her her will and her determination and of course knowing so i'm sure you were told those stories throughout your life so growing up it was even more so um something that was probably really you know just entrenched in you like this this devotion this love, you know, oh my God. Um, you to know, be what, there for my her. My biggest thing was somebody that did not have to do it for me did. And that just meant so much to me. Like, this woman did not have to do this for me, and she did. I, I she know that 100%. It, like, in a way where she didn't even do it as well as could have been done, but she was over and above and beyond, you know, with the way she loved for me and cared for me. Have you ever felt the, another love like that in your life? No. Nope. Nothing even close. Yeah. Yep, no, that was, uh, that was it. That's just, I always said, I was like, oh my gosh, my mom was like the love of my life. I just loved her so much. Yes, we all saw it. We all, we all knew it. Um, I mean, to have the good fortune, right? To be able to experience a love like that. I mean, those are things that people just 
hear about or, or write about or, you know, they make movies about. But it like that love does really exist, people. There, There is a love like that, that, you know, just transcends time and, and pain and um, circumstances that you will do and will yourself <laughs> to achieve anything really for the love of, of this person or to be there for that person that you love. So, I mean, if nothing more, I mean, that was a blessing that you got to experience that not too many people and life get to experience and people say, Oh, mother's love. And, and yes, that's true. But there are people who've been raised by their biological parents who do not have that love. Um, like you said, I, I, ascribe to it as well when you have someone who loves you by choice um not because oh you know you're just my child not oh, i'm supposed to love you yes or, or even or having that um that biological connection yeah we just like you know she was um no biological connection my step grandmother to be specific Yes. Who raised my biological mother from the time she was, what, two, three? Two, I so, think, yeah. just amazing. Like, just... Yeah, that's... It's it's deep. I mean, yeah. fellow listeners, I mean, this is a, a rabbit hole upon rabbit hole upon rabbit hole of so many uh, complexities of our family story. Um, and our interpersonal relationships, I mean, um, it could possibly take us a lifetime (laughs) to talk about every nook and cranny of of how we are connected and related and and how someone who shares no blood, no DNA, uh, at all is the most critical person in your life, right? Um... So again, I think that speaks to like, not to sound cliche, but truly the power of love. I mean, love and, and devotion. So you were fortunate to, to have that. Uh, and at the same time, what a painful burden that was as well. Oh, yeah. Not wanting to let yourself down, not wanting to let you know, your mom down, uh, trying to make room in your life for Rhett, um, you know, trying to not be resentful, right, towards Sheila, uh, trying to navigate your own life and choices that you would make and, and, and what those choices would look like because, frankly, in my opinion, the entirety of your life has been in service of something or someone else than yourself. Um, you know, like, I used to say uh, Mary was mom's replacement. I needed uh, something. I was like, oh, I really didn't, though. <laughs> <laughs> and who is Mary? You know, it's fun. Like that, yeah. Thank God, you know, she's still here. But that's just... Well, who is she? Mom mom was uh, training to get ready for Mary. 
And Mary is my daughter. Yeah. Yeah. Special needs. Functions about twenty three, five year old. She's twenty. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, that's um a whole nother thing. A whole nother <laughs> subject that oh, needs its own time of of uh discussion because again layers and layers and layers of that and the complexities that follow so as we get ready to draw to a close for this diary session today i wanted to know how do you feel now after our discussion how do you feel just like it's just the thickness I don't know. A little like surreal. Like when I look back on my life, it's like, man, that was my life. I actually lived through that stuff. Like it wasn't just reading it. Again. It's like when you say it and you start bringing back the memories, it's like, yeah, man, shit. Went through all that stuff. And what will you remember about today? I guess speaking more freely and openly with it in the back of my mind that we're, you know, recording this, then I thought Now we've completely are having technical difficulties because you were fading out. Let's try that. I was just saying, you know, that I didn't think I'd be so willing to speak so freely on things. I thought it'd be a little more, um, you know, guarded with how I shared whatever it was we were discussing. Yeah, I mean, this is new for the both of us and new in the sense of us actually taking taking note of what we're saying right we talk all the time but to actually take note of it um is new and interesting and i wasn't sure if we'd be stiff or it'd be just like you know dragging and 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 just awful but i think on the flip side um who we are i think carried through a lot of it um and the things about just us recollecting and remembering things. And really I was experiencing things for the first time that I had never even known before until we were just talking about it. So, you know, it was really exciting for me in a way to, to learn something new. I mean, uh, I've known you for over four decades (laughs) and I'm just now hearing something for the first time, um, which just goes to show that, you don't know what you think you know because you didn't ask. So how do you really know? You know, that is just what that taught me just now. So um, as I started off earlier in our discussion, how you always teach me something new, how you always inspire me to know more. um, This was just a, a perfect confirmation of that. Like something that has been in the background for most of our lives just opened up and became so brand new and 
I think something that was also just, um, I'm not going to say a nothing memory, uh, but, but a simple memory in your mind that was like, um, a fleeting thing mm-hmm. as a color that led to this Corvette that, well, that led to the sound that led to this Corvette that led to talking about your mom that led to how you guys went out together. And there's so many other stories to go on just from those things, but then we diverged and went around, um, I just thought it was really exciting and it was really fun. And I want to thank you for sharing that with me and being yourself and just being open to talk about it. It's, it was fun. I, I actually really enjoyed myself. Yes. Yeah, time went fast. <laughs> it, it really did. Uh, it's like, oh, wow, we could like talk forever. But um, it, it has been a blast. And I look forward to us being able to get together and do more of it and us exchanging different you know, memories and, and knowing new things about each other that we didn't know before because, you know, sisters, <laughs> you, you are, um, mirror images of each other just with different faces. So right. thank you everybody for listening. We hope you enjoyed our chat today on sister diaries. We'll get together soon. See you then.